week, Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes. meeting celebrities. We're all screwed up in some way or another. Well, no, that sounds wishy-washy, but it's true. I think we are our own worst critics. I think it was just also that idea that you could get rich quick. I've come round from the other point of view now where I think capitalism is not so bad. The jargon was unfamiliar and it can make you feel really stupid. I think there's the psychological aspect and the education aspects. See all the mistakes that I was making. We've all got to remember that we're all flawed humans that are not designed to live in this modern world. People in poverty don't have the mental bandwidth to change the world. Everything about investing can seem polished, easy, big returns, great picks. Investing can seem like investors never miss a beat. Every Buffett investment turns to gold. Every Kathy pick goes to the moon. For an ordinary investor, for me at least, sometimes the glossy, shiny 10x returns started to make me feel a little bit sick. I had had credit card debt and picked stocks due to FOMO and made bad choices, impulsive decisions. But no one was talking about that side of personal finance. Well, today's guest is here to soothe the ego and maybe present a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. As a prolific investor today, he didn't start here. Phil has a wonderfully real story to share with you. Welcome to the show, Phil Muscatello. Alex, lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm so excited. It's like meeting a real (laughs) podcasting celebrity. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I know. This is just incredible because I started the podcast uh, just over three years ago and I just didn't realize I would be at this point three years later um, with actually People stopping you on the street. uh, Oh, yeah. Happening all the time, you know. (laughs) Yeah, guys, guys throwing their underwear at me. Oh, goodness. Back to the <laughs> 80s with that kind of behaviour. Um, well, now that you've got fans, I want to take you back to your past, in fact, and ask you, obviously, today you have multiple podcasts about shares and investing, but let's mm-hmm. go back to the beginning. What was your first investing memory? And maybe mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about how that shaped your journey to here. Um, I think it was just something I did become interested in, and this would have been in the early 90s, I guess, and this was during the period as well when um, a lot of the government-run institutions like um, Commonwealth Bank, for example, were being privatised and being sold off mm-hmm. by the government. So, and Telstra. Mm-hmm. And Telstra and so forth. So there was a lot of interest in the share market then because you could go mm-hmm. and um, have an offer and start investing in these companies. And I think for a lot of people that was um, where a lot of it started. But my, I think even before that, and I'm just you know going back into the mists of time, um, I did ask about share investing from my accountant and he put me in touch with a stockbroker. I went and saw the stockbroker with some money to invest. He suggested a company, which is still on the ASX, Gervois Mining. And it was still in the days where I said, okay, well, I'll buy, I can't remember, $500 worth of that. He wrote it on a note, you know, gave it to someone who came in who obviously either rang the stock exchange or went down to the stock exchange to place their trade. But it was a very, very long time ago. And that 
over the course of the next few months did very well and I sold it. And I think that was the biggest <laughs> mistake and the biggest thing because it, it set in my head short-termism, I think. And do you feel like that uh, perspective persisted in the way you oh, traded for the next couple of years? A couple of decades, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And sometimes it worked out well and sometimes it didn't. I think it was just also that idea that you could get rich quick. Uh, that's what I had in my mind. I was but just, it grips had, you. It does. You get these de delusions and you, you just don't realise what's going on. And I mean, if I could just talk about my life up until that point as well, yeah, just, a, just a little bit, because I'm not from a finance background. I'm from a music background. I was in lots of bands in the 80s. Um, I worked in Triple J for many years and oh, Triple M. Phil, you were cool. Well, apparently, <laughs> and that's a trouble. <laughs> you think you're cool, but um, I had this attitude of living for the day that, that tomorrow would look after itself, you know. And now, when I look back over the vast expanse of years behind me, and and then see all the mistakes that I was making, and of course, in those days, there weren't all the podcasts and um, blogs and forums where people were talking about these sort of things. But if I can share anything about my life, and I know most people don't have this sort of similar experience of being in the music industry and going to all the parties, meeting celebrities and, and all of that. But no matter what your psychology is or where you've come from, it's going to affect your psychology and the way that you think about yourself and the way that you think about investing. And of course, the politics of the time was very much radical, midnight oil, stick it to the man, dead <laughs> Kennedys, you know, capitalism's rapacious and killing everyone. And, you yeah. know, it's the worst thing uh, possible, which um, I think is still a force that is echoing through society today. I've come round uh, from the other point of view now where I think capitalism is not so bad. And especially when I look at the fintech space, because this is something else I've become interested in over the last few years, is the number of fintech businesses that are democratizing investing. And they're operating in this incredibly pure capitalistic model, as far as I can see. So the, the, the point of all that discussion is basically to say that we're all screwed up in some way or another, and it's really important for people to understand how they're screwed up. Oh, I love that, because I do think that uh, we haven't talked a lot on this podcast, but I have talked about this on Broker Wealth a lot about the psychology of money and how these influences youth can think are quite banal or, or maybe completely passive are having a huge impact on how you think about your money and how you think about yourself. And I'm so curious to see how you went from being a left-wing radical at university to then doing something that I think is like capitalism distilled, which is like having a podcast where you talk about how great the stock market is and how to democratize it for people, which is, I think, a socialist concept in and of itself, like making stock investing accessible is, I think, a noble cause. How'd you end up with three, right? Shares for investors, ETFs Six. for beginners. Oh my God. Six. Okay, Phil, tell us them all. <laughs> tell us. Um, okay, ETFs for beginners, shares for beginners. I also started up Stocks for Beginners, which is aimed at a US audience, which is going quite well over there. And um, it's just incredible that the people that I've been able to talk to over there. Um, and there's also... Equity ASA, which I co-produce uh, with the Australian Shareholders Association, a fine organisation, and I will uh, urge listeners to consider joining, especially as, if there's a freemium model at the moment. And um, I'll try and remember the um, the promo code so you can put it into the show notes. But you can join join for a year for free the Shareholders Association, and then I also this is only a, a sporadic one called AGM Watch, which I do for 
the shareholders association the because they're monitoring companies especially when it's coming up to annual general meeting season which yeah. is next month in october um gee from left-wing radical to uh, not, I wouldn't call myself a left-wing um, radical, more a 70s hippie libertarian where people, oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel happy that people should be able to do what they want and pursue yeah. their happiness in whatever way they f see or feel fit. I think it was just the realisation that, especially for me, for my own personal journey, that I wasn't getting anywhere with that mindset. I wasn't getting anywhere financially and that... I started realising that my group of friends has become much larger than people in the industry, in the media industry, and realising that people who work in financial services or insurance, they're not as daggy as I would have once thought. <laughs> they're actually really <laughs> wonderful. Everyone's the, the world is full of so many beautiful people Wonderful that have people. got a lot to yeah. contribute. So I think it's not so much in terms of a political change, it's just more in terms of um, embracing more people and more diverse points of view. And I think there is uh, one thing that I think has softened the edges of my university-bred radicalism is I think the realisation that people in poverty don't have the mental bandwidth to change the world. People in mm. poverty are just looking for getting through the day. And mm -hmm. until we lift everyone into the middle class, you can't get the kind of revolutionary social change you're looking for. Mm. And capitalism perhaps is an imperfect model, a severely imperfect model, but it has some level of inertia at this point and a bit of a game plan for getting people out of the lower middle class and into the middle class and living comfortably. Because mm. people who are comfortable can have the time, mental bandwidth to go, hmm, we should fix some of these things. But that really um, inspired me to mm. make investing accessible so that more people were a little bit freer of the mental load of living paycheck to paycheck. Exactly. But, exactly. yeah, I do think, though, that despite all this noble cause, I made a lot of mistakes while investing. Ooh, and I think what's it's your always one? really, what's my biggest, oh God, there's so many. Where do you start? I think the, where do I start? I mean, I've talked about this many, many times and I'll get you to share yours in a moment, mm -hmm. but perhaps I'll set the scene. I'll be vulnerable first and it can be <laughs> uh, a, a shared space, a comfortable shared space, Phil. Safe space. So, oh, oh there's so many. Um, so the first, instead of diversifying, the first share I bought, I'm fairly sure was, I think might have been Vaz, but it was, I think it was Afterpay mm -hmm. because I had a pretty strong feeling that my generation hated credit cards but loved debt. And I was like, aha, uh -huh, repackaged debt, uh, which is obviously now Square. Oh, got into credit card debt, mm -hmm. was a yep. huge overspender, was mm -hmm. like a very self loathing fueled clothing buyer, bit of a shopaholic. Yeah, spent more than I earned. Oh, mm -hmm. look, the list goes on. I mean, yep. we could make a whole episode about mistakes, to be honest. But what about you? Um, I think, yeah, that whole thing about spending more than you earned, I've just done that my whole life and uh, never had a budget, never saved anything. And um, that was, yeah, that was one of my most terrible mistakes. And also being a freelancer, I've been a freelancer most of my life. So um, some people can 
get away with that because, you know, ticking away in the background is their super mm. still going in every fortnight. Yeah. And they can um, they can do that. I think. Well, for me, there. Let's see. There's a, so many mistakes, so many, sh so much shame. This is an emotion that I've been dealing with a lot lately as well. Trying to think, go back and not let shame um, affect my future decisions. Yeah. But I think I guess the guru effect, where you think that you've got to have a guru to tell you what to do. That has been my Interesting. biggest mistake and uh, listening to too many other people and making decisions, investing decisions based on what they've said and not properly researching that decision for myself. Mm. And you were talking about psychology before and I had this guest, I've had a guest on the Stocks for Beginners podcast a couple of times, Stanley H. Teitelbaum, who's a clinical psychologist <laughs> and an investor. Name. And he's, he's so good. He's so good. I, I just came along, I brought a quote from his book that I thought, thought's worthwhile reading. First of all, he talks about the, the main emotions that investors feel, and that is greed, mm. fear, euphoria, despair, Ooh. overconfidence, and regret. And then he goes on to say, we all have roadblocks that emanate from our personality issues, which can interfere with successful investing in the stock market, buying high and selling low, the herding instinct and searching for the next guru are among the prime examples of this phenomenon. Too many of us have internalized negative attitudes about ourselves as inadequate when it comes to managing our investments. Demystifying and overcoming these personal obstacles, along with acquiring and implementing several well-tested strategies, can facilitate a greater degree of success. The goal is to transform our self-defeating investment patterns into more productive approaches. Knowledge is power. And so I think there's the psychological aspect and mm. there's the education aspect so that you can understand exactly what your... Um, what you're actually doing. And it's going to be hard when you first start. You're not going to understand all the terms. And I think a lot, that's the other thing. I think a lot of people start hearing the, the terms and then they just switch off <laughs> and they mm. think this is all too yeah. hard for me. Yeah. And it's, I just, I don't want to be misogynistic about it, but especially for women. And I think I've seen so many women now coming into investing who are actually having to go over a, a greater hurdle than men. Um, when they're mm. setting themselves up in this, you know, this is this is just something. You've, another guest said to me, "Just listen to the words, and if you keep listening to the words long enough, it starts making sense." Mm. But I do think that we have to acknowledge it's not. I agree with you. It's it is predominantly women, and the research mm. suggests that women feel as if they need to be experts before they start investing, and I don't think that's the case. But I also think that that feeling of shame is mm. such a powerful one and a paralytic one as well mm, exactly. because we do disengage from things that we don't feel uh, comfortable in. And for me, you know, I didn't grow up around investing. The jargon was unfamiliar. I think it maybe had a similar experience. And it can make you feel really stupid as well because everyone else seems to get it, right? Everyone's investing. Mm. But I think that shame comes from a, a feeling of guilt and so much self almost flagellation, I think, because mm -hmm. what you're really trying to do is sort of belt yourself over the head for decisions you've made. And I tried to reframe that. Otherwise, I would have just sunk into a pit of despair about every bad decision I'd made. Mm -hmm. But I think that when you look at them 
from a position of grace. Like I always think, how would I talk about this to my best friend? If my best friend came and told me she was in credit card debt, I wouldn't tell her, oh, you silly, silly girl. Mm. And, you know, bash her over the head. I'd instead look at it from the perspective of, well, have you learned anything? Have, you know, is there a better way of managing your money or your emotions or, you know, your relationship with yourself that's actually causing you to continue to make these decisions that are obviously affecting you emotionally? If there's anything I can say, uh, Phil, as you work through all of those emotions, it's to do it with a lot of grace and love for yourself. I know that sounds wishy-washy, but it's true. I think we we are our own worst critics and it's it can be paralyzing, especially when there's something really quantitative about money, bad money decisions that you can kind of like, oh, opportunity cost. And you can kind of then like add it up in your head. But we have no idea what would have happened if we had made those decisions differently or how things would have worked out. So I see them as hopefully really good lessons learned. We've all got to remember that we're all flawed humans that are not designed to live in this modern world. And we're all just doing the best we can with whatever resources that we have. Yeah. And um, just pick yourself up and try again. And that's that's the hardest thing. It's so hard. And especially, it's, like I said, yeah. with that shame um, yeah. emotion coming through. But maybe let's reflect on some of your best hits as a bit of a counterpoint. So you made some hmm. mistakes. We all do. What do you think your best decision or best financial investment was? Oh, let me go. Let me go to my um, my list that I've been preparing before. Oh, I love <laughs> this. Oh, good. I love well, this. This is more talking in terms, in in general terms. I'm not going to sort of say, well, I I did this. I mean, well, sure. over, overall, the the greatest decision was to um, have most of my portfolio in ETFs and just mm-hmm. to tinker at the sides, the core satellite idea where you put your money into ETFs and um, basically uh, let the dividends reinvest and let them build up and grow over time. And um, I mean, I still suffer from the guru effect where the the stocks that I've been buying, uh, individual stocks on the side, have been very much based on I guess tips from other people or just talking to other people on the podcast. But nevertheless, the amount that I'm investing in each of those companies is so small that it's a tiny, tiny percentage of the overall portfolio. So learning the lesson of diversification and learning the lesson of not putting too much money at risk. I don't know if you know Claude Walker. Have you had Claude Walker from A Rich Life Mm. on the podcast? I'd highly recommend him. He's had this great quote and I always get quotes from my guest, which I live by now, and his was, um, match your risk to your experience. <laughs> oh, that is a good, oh, I'm going to get that tattooed somewhere. That's brilliant. <laughs> a t-shirt. Don't make your first investment a penny stock. Yeah. You know, yeah. try it. Yeah. That's a very good quote. Because then another guest said, because that's when you suffer from single stock shock. And oh. um, he also said the uh, the other thing was that um, there's no guarantees in this. If you want, if you want a guarantee, go buy a fridge from Harvey Norman. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's words to live by. So yeah. that was your your best decisions: dollar cost averaging, uh, diversifying, a core and satellite approach, which I think you know all tried and tested methodologies. But I'm curious in your thoughts on some of the changes we've seen in investor behavior. So obviously we had a huge influx of investors in the last two years of the pandemic because there was a lot of cash sloshing Mm -hmm. around in the market. But I'm really curious for your reflections on our users. So self-wealth users haven't stopped investing and haven't been selling down like crazy. 
but we have seen a spike in cash stockpiles, which to me, but I'm curious for your reflections, I think that says people are waiting for the dip of dips. Mm-hmm. But do you think that that's what they're doing? It's it's certainly sounds like it. I mean, we've over the last few years, we've just had the perfect storm. We've had all that money, like you say, sloshing around. We've had mm-hmm. um, uh, new brokerages coming out that are offering many ways for people to get into the markets. Um, we've had um, a lot of discretionary spending because of the lockdowns um, ceased, and so people had a lot more money to spend. It wasn't so much here, but I know in the United States, the, all of the sports gaming closed down. Just everything closed down. And so there was nothing to gamble on. And there, there was that kind of gambler mentality. And it's also the perfect storm in terms of the, the amount of interest in investing now with podcasts, mm. with you know reddits and subreddits and uh, blog <laughs> posts and yeah. YouTubers and influencers, you know, everyone, yeah. everyone that's doing it. And yeah, I, it's interesting when you say that because... Uh, that's another thing I've taken away and it's not something, I mean, I've experienced, I've been through a couple of market, severe market downturns and it's it's hard to say if people are put, putting money, if just sitting there leaving their money in cash, it does sound like what you're saying is that they are actually looking for or waiting for the next big dip, you know. Personally, I think there is going to be a big dip, but, you know, that's me. And But whether that should be affecting your investments decisions or not, um, I think it's just that thing about drip feeding money in. And again, going back to Claude Walker, hi, Claude, a rich life. I recommend him for this podcast. He's a great guest. Um, amongst many of my other guest guests, I love all my children equally. Aww. <laughs> um, and he, what he's suggesting is just basically, and again, this is not financial advice. I can't, I'm not a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not financial advice. You'd be an idiot to listen to anything that I've got to say about investing. However, what Claude says is to drip it in slowly so that you can experience it slowly and you can learn along the way and look mm-hmm. for your reasons for why you're doing it. You're not doing it because you read it on a subreddit or you read it on a, um, on a forum to actually take ownership of your own yeah. decisions and your own investing. And that that drip feeding is perhaps better known as dollar cost averaging. Mm. And I think that even if you put aside the what you should be doing with your money, mm-hmm. if you just look at law of averages and the statistics, your ability to pick the right day is so low. Zero. Like you'll miss it. Yeah. Zero, right? But your ability to continue riding the wave and average out how much you're putting into the market and therefore achieve a better return, much higher. And I also think uh, I am not very good at fitness. I'm very bad. But for some reason, I can apply fitness principles to my finances now, which is consistency is far, far, far better at giving you or letting you reap rewards than mm-hmm. like one off, you know, 10k into the market. So I think Claude's right. I think there is there is something psychologically as well about riding the wave with smaller amounts of money when you're first starting. Mm. I think that's God, you have some really good guests, Phil. Fantastic. <laughs> Unbelievable. Fantastic guests. guests. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Um the other side of the yeah. market that I found really interesting as well, because you talked a little bit about the pandemic and you mentioned people switching from gambling to investing, which I think is fascinating. I had not thought about that particular aspect mm. of mm. the gamification of the market, but that is a exemplary like insight. 
But we also saw a lot of women entering the market for the first time. Uh, and I'm curious, were you surprised by this? And what do you think perhaps pushed women to actually just start? I think there's that. And I think there's um, very, very much, there's many efforts from many good people. Um, you know, you just see the number of groups that are coming together that are specifically targeting women and um, their own needs and their own um Basically, having a space where women can talk. Because, um, do you know um, Betsy Westcott and Molly Benjamin from Ladies Finance I do. Club? Yeah, yes. great, great people. And what they found is is that by having a space where women can talk, and blokes are welcome as well. They, they love blokes. There's no problem with blokes. But the trouble is, when you're in an investing forum situation, in a live situation where you've got a large number of people in the room, women nat naturally tend to step back and hold themselves back. Whereas that they yeah. can, in this kind of situation, they can move forward. Um, I'd also like to mention Fiona Balzer from the Australian Shareholders Association, who's been looking at um, investing with women who are much older. And of course, there's that mm. statistic that the, the fastest growing homeless group oh, in Australia- God, That statistic breaks my is heart. Is women, I know. Yeah. And this is because of, I hate to say that there's there's anything to do with the, the nature here, but many women of a, um, older generations have just left everything up to their husbands, which has turned out to be a disastrous uh, situation, especially if they're going through a divorce or the husband's lost all the money or, you know, is drinking, gambling, whatever, or bad investment decisions. And I think just the education that's going on now, and also realising you're never too old to start and to start getting things right. Um, <laughs> it's it's always good. I, I mean, another guest, uh, this is in the US version, and he runs workshops for people who work in the creative industries, lots of actors and um, uh, musicians and, um, yeah, people who work in the creative. And again, this is like from my background where people had have no, you know, they're, they're living hand to mouth one day and then they might get some money yeah. the next day. But um, one of his um, great success stories is a famous soapy star in the United States. He hasn't revealed yet, but we're going to try and get her onto the podcast, who <laughs> at 67 basically hadn't started investing. She just had some money and a couple of basically bond and uh, fixed income vehicles, instruments. That's mm -hmm. the word. That, that's mm -hmm. the financial mm -hmm. word, isn't it? <laughs> instruments. Yeah. There you go. And um, now she's become, in her early 70s, has become, she, her nickname's now the mogul because she's sitting there studying stocks good and studying her. companies and so forth and has become a very keen and a very good investor. We love to see it. Well, she's, yeah. you know, she has decades of experience. Very little actual <laughs> investing time in the market, <laughs> but certainly lots of experience. I love to see it. I think um, big swinging stocks has really morphed into, uh, for me, therapy. Okay. Therapy. A Your own bit of personal therapy. therapy? I think, well, yeah, a little <laughs> I bit because I, mm. I do love interviewing people, and I, I do love interviewing people of all different approaches to money. You know, we interview stockbrokers and analysts, and they're just, oh, I've always been interested in money, and I've always been good at saving, and I'm like, that's fantastic, and I love that for you. Tell me all your secrets, but also, I love the guests that come at it from a very different perspective because I think mm. part of what has propelled women to start investing is representation. I think women are seeing other women invest and women are going, oh, I can do that too. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, you know, representation across the media, but especially in finance. If the whole world of finance is a particular demographic, it can feel even more exclusionary. And so things like, you know, what Molly is doing is radical. Mm. Right? It's literally a club for women to discuss money. And mm. that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk about types of investments. You mentioned our mogul friend moved from bonds to the rest of the share market. Very exciting mm-hmm. for her. I'm sure her eyes boggled out of her head when she realized how much money she could have been making over this time. <laughs> but I'm, uh, as an ETF investor myself, and I know you are too, mm-hmm. the ASX published a really interesting study last year. So, 9 million, 9.6 million Australians invest, which is really cool. 900,000 started in the last two years. Also mm-hmm. very cool. 70% of those investors own a listed investment company. Mm, mm. Okay, that did that shock you? That shocked me when I read that. Oh, no, because I just don't think people actually understand or have heard of LICs or even know what they are. And um, again, that's something that I've learned through the podcast is finding out about LICs and how that structure actually works. And you've got to remember that in the days before ETFs, many, many Australians were investing in LICs. I mean, we're coming up next year is the 100th anniversary of the LIC in mm. Australia. Shout out yeah. to Whitefield. I'm getting this across at the moment because I'm going to be making a short LIC series for the peak industry body for LICs and listed investment trusts. So Whitefield, Argo, AFIC, before ETFs, this is where mm. you would be putting your money. And just to give you a bit of background, um, I'm not sure if you've discussed LICs, but an LIC is basically a company that invests in other listed companies. So what it's doing is choosing a portfolio based on a particular idea. But then again, you can buy the LIC on the market like mm. you can buy um, an ETF. Now, the thing, the main thing about LICs, well, there's a couple of things about the LICs that I think are really interesting. And I, I'm not invested personally in LICs, and I'm just trying to describe how products work here. But LICs, for example, you in an ETF, if, if you buy an ASX 200 ETF, you're going to be buying, you know, equal weightings of all of those companies mm. that com- comprise that index. And so the actual weighting itself is just a reflection of what the market is on any particular day or time. Now, an LIC, and again, I'm not sure about if this is exactly how it works, but why do you need to own all four or five of the big banks? Surely two would give you enough exposure in that area. And, you know, if Woolworths at a particular time is going to be doing well, maybe you wouldn't want more weighting in the overall portfolio than what is reflected in an ETF. So, yeah, these are just some things worth considering. Oh, and the other thing you've got to understand about LICs is net asset value. Um, Because like Mm. an ETF, at any particular time, they are going to have a value based on the holdings that are that are within their portfolio. But many times, yeah. LICs will be uh, trading at a discount, a quite significant discount to their NAV. Mm. And there are tables which are published on a monthly basis to actually show which of these ones, um, which of these LICs are trading at a discount. And so I, th- I just think it's worthwhile thinking and learning a bit more about LICs and what they mean, because it might be 
you know, ETFs are great. We all love our ETFs, but then might be worthwhile considering that. And, and that, just getting back to your 70% figure, I think that might be because they have been around for so long and there are many older investors. And I remember finding out about Argo in the 90s and thinking, gee, that sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> what an you idiot are I was. buying ETFs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting thing about uh, LICs, I think, in Australia is that there are, I think the reason that they've been so popular with boomers is for one, that they've been around for so long. But for two, I think they represent for them a level of stability. So the key mm. difference uh, from that perspective, stability for ETFs versus listed investment companies is because an ETF is a trust, when it receives dividends, it just throws every dollar at the investor. It doesn't keep anything at all because it's a trust and it has to distribute that money to you. So you'll see volatility in the dividends that reflects how the market is doing. Pretty basic. We're all pretty comfortable with that now. But a listed investment company is a company. And so they decide to perhaps withhold some dividends in times of volatility. So we saw that in the pandemic that these listed investment companies the, had the payouts. Yeah. maintaining their dividends. And if you're someone who relies on that dividend income, that's a huge attraction for you potentially, as well as the franking benefits, which that means that they are fully franked when they distribute. So I think it's important to understand the differences between these two vehicles, because sometimes one might suit you over the other at different mm. points in your life, perhaps. But speaking of different vehicles, we love to do this like rapid round. Well, I, I know. Loved, I'm I love so to put my guests through, <laughs> through this kind of like, you know, high tension, get the heart rate up mm -hmm. kind of um, interview style. So I'm going to like yell to, no, I'm not going to yell at you. <laughs> I'm going to give you two options and you have like one second to answer okay. with your preference. And if you feel completely compelled to explain, you can explain yourself, but otherwise we'll just keep shooting through. Yeah. Okay. Yep. No problems. Yep. Amazing. I'll, I'll try and shut up. <laughs> No, no, I love it. No, it's been it's been a fa fantastic conversation, Phil. Uh, all right, let's kick off. You ready? Yep. Is your heart racing a little bit? Do you feel like you're oh. on stage? No. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the line here. <laughs> Individual companies or ETFs? Both. And LICs, we'll just add to that. Ah, uh, no. Uh, but, <laughs> nice, but we've talked nice. about that. We've talked about that. Core satellite, you know, mm. and um, for, yeah. for me personally, ETFs with a, a little bit of dabbling in individual companies mm. on the side because individual companies are great and they can give you mm. huge returns. Mm. Love it. Great. Succinct answer. To and, lose, and losses. But anyway. And well, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. High return, high reward, uh, high return, high reward, high volatility. VAS or A200? Um, well, they're, they're two different ETFs. I mean, VAS is the ASX 300, whereas mm. A200, I've done my study. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, again, I think there's a risk of over-diversification. Over and I would also mention a couple of other ETFs like STW, which is another mm -hmm. one, which is an ASX 200, or SFY, which is only the top 50. So I think there's, it's worthwhile considering that, but also be really careful when you're buying these ETFs that you're not over-correlating. You know, you might buy three of them yeah. and you're just basically buying the same portfolio. They're just duplicates pretty much. Yeah. 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 Uh, Australia or international? 
international, definitely. That's the other thing now I've been oh, discovering. This is really interesting. I we, yeah. we clearly got some guests that don't have home country bias, so that's that's exciting. Oh, that's right. And also um, dealing in the United States as well with my US podcast and uh, yeah. talking to investors over there. But it was really interesting, actually, just to just to go down a little rabbit hole here. I, I was talking to a, the CEO of a company called Tradia, and they provide the back room uh, engine mm-hmm. so that any basically anyone can set up their own brokerage app. I mean, you know. Oh, wow. I, I, with my podcast, I could sort of say, okay, well, I'm going to set up my own brokerage and use Tradia as the, as the back end. But the interesting thing about that is the number of international investors, and he's seeing it, the number of international investors that are coming from all over the world. You know, mm. you want to invest in Apple, Microsoft, Colgate, yeah. Ford, GM, you mm. know, all of those big companies because they all touch our lives, so many of them. But what he's pointing out is that now that, you know, there's – Hundreds of millions investor, of investors in somewhere like India, for example, that um, can actually move the US market. There is so many. And a geopolitical event that might happen in the subcontinent, for example, could affect the US market. So international, that's where all the action is. But, you know, ah. the ASX is great as well because we, you know, we all have that home country bias. Yeah. Uh, save for property or buy shares first? Uh, do both. There's got to be a way of doing both. <laughs> I sense that you've given a very consistent answer to all of these, which is, what can all of those? Why don't you do both? <laughs> that's like that um, taco edit, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. I love that taco ad. I say that. That's my favourite quote of all time. Uh, final one, shares for beginners or ETFs for beginners? Oh, Gee, that's a that's a really difficult one. Well, I've got to pick say that your favourite um, child, Phil. Uh, I can't I can't pick my ch- favourite child. I mean, shares for beginners, of course, was the thing that started it all, which is fantastic. Um, what's been great with ETFs for beginners is my co-host Anna Christina and being able to bounce off someone, and she is such a fantastic personality and such a, mm. a hard worker and um, so supportive. And you know, it's the the, lo- the loneliness of the long distance podcast has been obviated a little by having Anna in, in my oh, corner. And that is wonderful. Mm. I encourage everyone to go and watch, listen, sorry, to both of them. And in fact, all of Phil's suite of six podcasts, uh, I'm still, don't know how you find the time. There's also one called Talking Companies as well, where we, in, 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 um, myself well, and if another anyone guy. Yeah. feels like you didn't get your fix of <laughs> Phil today, by all means, just just <laughs> Put Phil Muscatello into your favourite podcasting app. But if anyone wants to get in touch with you, because Spotify doesn't really allow... But one thing about podcasting that I do miss about social media is it doesn't have that level of interaction. Mm. And if someone feels like they desperately want more Phil Muscatello in their lives... Where can they get in touch with you, Phil? Okay, well, the website address is sharesforbeginners.com. Twitter, I'm Phil underscore Muscatello. On Instagram, I'm sharesforbeginners with a little underscore at the end. Um, Where else is there? Just Google my name. I seem to come up all over the place now, and there's not that many Muscatellos in the world, although there is some guy in New York with exactly the same name as me. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's right. You should get in touch. You can be pen pals. Mm. But uh, Phil, it has been, as always, a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for coming on Big Swinging Stocks. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been such a pleasure and an honour. And to our listeners, thanks for hanging out with Phil and I today. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week.